Welcome to Near East PolicyCast. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. The countries of Northwest Africa, Morocco, Tunisia, and Algeria may look like islands of stability in a sea of Middle East turmoil, but perhaps it would be better to see them as low coral atolls, and the sea around them is rising fast. I mean, this region of Northwest Africa, these three countries are in a very rough neighborhood, whether it, we look to the east and what's happening in Libya or uh, to the south in the Sahel states, countries like Mali, Niger, Chad. I mean, these are these states are sort of teetering. And so the first you know, priority has to be to find ways to help the countries of Northwest Africa remain uh, stable. That was Institute SORA fellow Sarah Foyer, who recently co-authored a presidential transition study on American challenges and policy options in Northwest Africa. We'll talk with Sarah about why these countries matter to the United States, what Washington can do to help preserve reform and democracy there, and what the stakes are should these islands of regional stability sink below the waves of chaos lapping at their shores. After this. This is Rob Satloff, Executive Director of the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting those policies that secure them. Find all our research and analysis at WashingtonInstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute. Sarah Foyer is an expert on politics and religion in North Africa and a SORA fellow at the Washington Institute. She is the co-author with Robert Satloff of the presidential transition study, Strengthening Stability in Northwest Africa, Ideas for U.S. Policy Toward Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. That report and other studies in the Transition 2017 series are available at WashingtonInstitute.org. Sarah's forthcoming book on religion and state in Morocco and Tunisia will be published by Cambridge University Press. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start with a big picture look at Northwest Africa. Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia seem to have emerged from the regional upheavals, sometimes called the Arab Spring, without falling into civil anarchy, domestic wars, or increased uh, autocracy. Can you tell me, to what extent does this reflect the resilience of pre-2011 Northwest African states and societies, or how much of this is a product of successful adaptation by leaders, institutions, and civil society in these countries? So I think that the the resilience of these countries, uh, the reason for that resilience varies depending on where you look. Um, I mean, if you take a country like Morocco, there were protests in Morocco in 2011, um, but the monarchy got out in front of them and I think very astutely uh, led a, a process of reform that gave citizens a sense that enough was changing to give the regime a chance. Um, in a country like Algeria, we simply didn't see the kind of initial stirrings uh, and the, the, the extent of protests that we saw elsewhere, most likely because Algerians still have very fresh memories of the civil war that they experienced in the 1990s. And so you just didn't see as much of an appetite for uh, radical change. And in Tunisia, there were conditions in Tunisia of fairly robust civil society, uh, relatively well-educated population, 
uh, a, uh, a a small and um, a fairly professional army that made for uh, a smoother transition. It's not that Tunisia has not had its bumps, but that made for a smoother transition to a process of democratization than, than we've seen elsewhere. So I would say each country had its own reasons for emerging from this period uh, intact and demonstrating that resilience that you noted. This is a trivial thing to, to say, but the fact that these three countries had this relatively... I wouldn't say smooth, but relatively successful uh, path through the upheavals that uh, are still afflicting so much of the region. The fact that they're, they share so much, including they're just next to each other. It's North Africa left of Libya. Is there anything that was distinct or different that's shared among these three countries that was lacking in much of the rest of either North Africa or the Middle East in general? Is there something that other countries could have or maybe should now be learning from the uh, Northwest African experience in, in settling their own post-Arab Spring problems? So it's a great question. Um, I mean, one, one condition that does come to mind that you could say is shared among these three countries, though I, I, would, I would offer a caveat to that, but I'll, I'll say what I'm going to say. Um, is that you don't see in Northwest Africa the level of sectarianism and um, the kinds of ethnic um, and religious cleavages that we've seen in uh, countries of the Middle East and in the Mashrek um, to the east. And chances are um, that you know, probably saved these countries from uh, a certain degree of uh, of upheaval. The caveat, though, of course, is that you know, in in countries like Algeria and Morocco, especially, there are ethnic cleavages. I mean, in Morocco, uh, you have the um, the Berber or Amazigh uh, minority that makes up about forty percent of the population. It doesn't translate into a sectarian cleavage um, because the Amazigh community is overwhelmingly Muslim. Um, and in Algeria, uh, you have a similar situation. So it's not that there are not ethnic um, uh, differences and uh, and in some cases very vibrant minority groups, um, but those cleavages have not translated into the kind of conflict that we've seen uh, to the east. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that even to the east where there are um, failing or failed states or outright civil wars going on, the the cleavages do seem to be more associated with sectarian than ethnic or cultural divides. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. In in your report, you highlight the fact that the relative or seeming stability of the three countries in Northwest Africa can be something of a curse in terms of lack of attention and urgency from U.S. policymakers, uh, the U.S. government, U.S. civil society. But for policymakers in Washington, it can be difficult to think and act ahead of urgent events and the crisis of the day. So from a practical standpoint, how can American officials, as well as American journalists and the public, give relatively calm countries like Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia the policy attention they deserve? Right. So, of course, this is a big problem of uh, the U.S. policy community, understandably, uh, being uh, most often concerned to put out fires or uh, deal with 
um, the, you know, the crises of the day. Uh, and so here you have three countries that are more or less, you know, um, moving along, uh, doing uh, relatively well. Uh, of course, a big emphasis on the relative there. But um, and so one of the one of the arguments that we try to make in the paper is that actually the U.S. Uh, government faces some relatively low cost um, policy options uh, that would not require massive investments in either uh, money or even diplomatic capital, um, but rather with some uh, sustained attention uh, and again, relatively low cost, um, can we can get a big bang for our buck, so to speak. So whether that's on the regional level, um, you know, looking at, for example, initiatives that are already underway. So notwithstanding certain uh, disputes between these three countries, I mean, the biggest one being between Algeria and Morocco over the Western Sahara, actually, we've seen in recent years some beginnings of uh, cooperation when it comes to counterterrorism in the region, because all three countries, of course, face uh, a major uh, problem of uh, a growing threat of terrorist groups uh, on on and within their borders. And so one of the uh, policies that we advocate is that the, the U.S. should, in a sense, uh, pick up on these initial initiatives and try to uh, develop a mechanism for making them more sustained, uh, whether that's through uh, our folks at the Africa Command. But here, too, this would not require a massive investment. It's more about uh, showing our presence, showing our continued interest. Uh, and we go through uh, different policy options for, for each of the bilateral relationships as well um, that, again, we think uh, would not require um, too much, but that would give uh, the kind of stability um, that is clearly in the U.S. interest. Well, if, if you could go country by country, let's start uh, in in the West. What would be the one, two or three, just sort of the, the, the bullet points that you would want policymakers to address or the public to uh, expect or think about in the bilateral relationship with each? Okay, so taking the Moroccan-American relationship first, um, Morocco has in, in recent years been looking to establish itself as uh, an economic and diplomatic and even religious leader on the African continent. So one of the things we argue in the paper is that this is, this is a good thing, and this is something that the American administration should welcome and find ways, even, you know, ways uh, that, again, would not cost too much um, of indicating that we are very um, eager to see Morocco uh, take on this leadership role. A second idea would be to establish a, a Moroccan-American enterprise fund. So Morocco, I think really more than any other country in North Africa, has promoted this concept of public-private partnerships uh, with the aim of really increasing economic growth. And those partnerships have been credited with uh, improving economies in places like Tangier, where uh, the employment rate grew considerably in the last decade. So one idea would be to establish a Moroccan-American enterprise fund that would build on those sorts of successes, invest in business ventures, um, not just within the kingdom, but also in potential business partnerships between American and, um, and Moroccan uh, enterprises. And um, 
another idea would be to, uh, you know, we've noticed in the last few years, at least, that there's a real hunger in Morocco for English language education and 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 particularly American style education. Hmm. And so, you know, this is this is something that we do really well. Um, and so I think looking for opportunities for increased exchanges, you see this especially in the STEM subjects of science and technology. Um, the Moroccans are very eager uh, for that, uh, for our model of education. And so we ought to be finding ways, um, you know, this gets a little bit to the question of soft power, but we ought to be finding ways uh, to increase those, uh, those sorts of engagements. If we look at Algeria, um, you know, this is a country that has traditionally been very wary, if not at times hostile, to the idea of um, positive uh, relations with, um, with the West. But even in Algeria, we're seeing the beginnings of potential change there. I mean, for one thing, the generation that um, fought for Algerian independence from the French and that really um, laid the, the foundation of this rather nationalistic um, economic and foreign policy, that generation is moving on. And you're starting to see a new generation within the the apparatuses of, of state power, notably the, the military, um, be more receptive to the idea of greater engagement with, for example, the American military. So one idea would be to expand our international military education and training program so that we could bring more Algerian military officers to the United States for advanced training and more engagement. The other idea that we put forward is to start to try and lay the foundations for greater commercial engagement. I mean, one of the one of the difficulties that Algeria is facing now, this is a country, of course, that has been able to rely on largesse, mostly from the export of oil and gas. Well, with oil prices um, really showing no signs of rebounding anytime soon, the Algerian uh, government is facing uh, a serious economic uh, challenge. And so you're starting to see more uh, receptivity and interest in diversifying that economy and making it easier for foreign uh, companies to invest in Algeria. So one uh, one idea we put forward is to, to try and, is for American policymakers to try and, and uh, encourage American companies to begin investing in Algeria. So in a sense, to lay the foundation for what could become a much, uh, you know, a, a real economic opening and and uh, lead to greater commercial engagement. More generally with Algeria, it's, it's generally a good idea to approach the country as a partner and not as a beneficiary or uh, sometimes, you know, some kind of supplicant mm-hmm. and to, to, in a sense, take it from there. And finally, you have Tunisia. Um, I mean, in Tunisia, the greatest threat to the, you know, what we, t- we we like to sort of refer to as the consolidation of its democratic, you know, experiment is is security for, for the time being. So whether that's the potential for spillover from the conflict in Libya, I mean, this has already been happening. The prospect of thousands of radicalized individuals who left Tunisia to join groups like uh, the the so-called Islamic State and who are now um, planning to return, you know, so Tunisia is going to need our help in continuing to bolster its own security apparatus so that it can continue in the sort of messy but ultimately rewarding business of building a democracy. 
But Tunisia is also going to need our help uh, in the economic realm because uh, really arguably the, the dark spot of the Tunisian transition has been in the economy. And its tourism sector has been pretty, pretty nearly decimated. Um, there's a lot of uh, difficulty in, in um, um, you know, uh, implementing reforms that would ultimately lead to job growth. And so we try to encourage U.S. policymakers to keep in mind Tunisia's economic predicament um, and uh, be sure to continue indicating to Tunisia that the U.S. intends to remain a real partner in um, what is arguably, you know, the the only uh, Arab democracy today. Well, and the policy agenda that you and uh, Rob Sadloff lay out in this report really seem to speak to what's sometimes called the soft power, economic power, commercial, um, diplomatic outreach, um, as opposed to strictly military or kinetic approaches in a region that for many Americans is defined uh, as being primarily a security first or sometimes even security only area of policy. Are there are there ways in which uh, a, 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 a forward-thinking engagement on these non-military fronts with Northwest Africa could perhaps pay dividends in our relationships with and thinking about the entire rest of the region? Well, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, I think generally, well, I'll speak to, to Northwest Africa first, and then we can maybe ex- extend it, um, extend the conversation to, to the Middle East uh, beyond. But, you know, I think generally, um, policies that take into account the security concerns of our allies um, in combination with assistance that targets areas like uh, economic progress, um, education is a big is a big uh, realm in need of, of real improvement in this part of the world. I don't think you'll find anybody who, at least I don't, I don't, let's put it this way, I don't, I don't think there's a really compelling argument to be made for simply giving these countries, uh, let's say, military equipment and calling it a day. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't really think any serious conversation um, can can just end there. Um, the question, though, is what, you know, do, do, to what extent do these countries and do our bilateral relationships with these countries that, you know, again, blend, you know, give this mix of uh, hard and, and soft uh, power or assistance, to what extent can that be a model for the rest of the region? Well, I think it's hard to talk about, I mean, there are, of course, countries like Syria or Yemen or even Libya, where it's, it is very hard to have um, a kind of sustained conversation about lending assistance to things like civil society when these countries are in the midst of essentially a civil war. Um, but for countries where there is, you know, there are um, state institutions, even if they're weak, um, there is some semblance of, uh, you know, a, a sort of cohesive um, identity, a sense of, of belonging. I think that the, the mix of hard and soft power, um, could, you know, could certainly, uh, I think, be be a model um, for the region. But it's true that countries that are 
you know, we're completely failed states, it's it's going to be difficult to talk about uh, if for no other reason than, you know, we don't have an address to, to, to send the assistance to. Um, so it, it's you'd have to take it on a case by case basis. Well, let's let's talk about American interests. Um, can you outline for us what are the key U.S. national interests that are at stake in the countries of Northwest Africa? Sure. So we have identified in the paper three overarching interests. I mean, the first is going to perhaps sound obvious, but it is um, to maintain and strengthen the stability that is is already there. I mean, this region of Northwest Africa, these three countries are in a very rough neighborhood, whether it we look to the east and what's happening in Libya or uh, to the south in the Sahel states, countries like Mali, Niger, Chad. I mean, these are these states are sort of teetering. And so the first you know, priority has to be to find ways to help the countries of Northwest Africa remain uh, stable. We also have uh, a real, uh, a very strong interest in preventing the spread of terrorism. This is sort of linked to that that first interest that I outlined. Um, but, you know, cooperation with these countries of Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, I mean, this is really crucial to any strategy that we're going to develop to prevent the spread of terrorist groups either coming from Libya or coming up from uh, from farther south in, in regions of Africa. I mean, we're already starting to see fighters from, you know, as the Islamic State in, in, in places like Syria and Iraq are really battered. Well, where are these men and in some cases women going to go? And this re- these regions in Africa are prime real estate for them. And so um, preventing the spread of terrorism is going to remain, I think, a key interest. And finally, there's the question of maritime security. I mean, remember, of course, these countries of Northwest, of Northwest Africa are lining the Mediterranean Sea. And we, uh, we operate the, I mean, the U.S. Navy has the sixth fleet that is present in the Mediterranean. And, um, you know, we rely on our alliances with these countries of Northwest Africa to help ensure freedom of movement, uh, not just for the Navy, but also for commercial vessels that want to go through, um, you know, the Strait of Gibraltar and on uh, and onward uh, into the eastern Mediterranean. And, you know, that the the ability of the U.S. Navy to operate freely in the Mediterranean, this has been crucial to our counterterrorism uh, efforts in, in the area and also to providing a security for um, for our NATO allies and our non-NATO allies in that in that area. So um, I would say there's a mix of of uh, of interests uh, regarding what's going on on the land and also um, on the sea. Mm hmm. Finally, looking back, uh, since this is a, a presidential uh, transition study that uh, you wrote with Rob Satloff, thinking about some of the the policies of the Obama era, what lessons should officials in the new, the incoming and the new Trump administration learn from their predecessors' efforts dealing with the uh, countries of Northwest Africa, Morocco, Tunisia, and Algeria? You know, I think that... Generally speaking, what these countries and and these countries at the end of the day are allies of ours. I mean, even a country like Algeria, 
which you know with 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 which our ties are perhaps not as deep as the others you know we are still working with algerians on counterterrorism and other areas so these are these are allies and i think that there is a, a sense in the region um, they want to know that their uh, their U.S. ally is going to stay engaged, and I think that there were you know there were moments in the previous administration when some of that came into question. Now we can debate whether that you know the perception was right or wrong or what. But I think generally speaking, um, it's in our interest, it's in the U.S. government's interest to um, be sure to continue sending a consistent message that as their ally, we are we are there for them. We we do have an interest in seeing them succeed and seeing them remain stable. And that will translate into different policies depending on which country you're looking at. In some cases, it will translate into continuity with policies that were begun under the former administration. So, you know, an example of that, I mean, in Tunisia, um, under one of the last uh, developments under the Obama administration, Tunisia became eligible for a, uh, a grant or a compact, as they call it, by the, from the Millennium Challenge Corporation. That's an example of something that, you know what, that should continue because that's, again, that's sending that message that we are, we intend to remain a partner of Tunisia. In other cases, it's going to require, I think, a bit of a break from um, previous uh, administration policies. And here, the the perhaps the number one example was the 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 rough patch uh, we'll call it between uh, the Moroccan and American uh, governments, um, particularly in the last few years under the Obama administration, when there were. Some signals that the Moroccans interpreted as a, a decreasing uh, support for the Moroccan position on the Western Sahara and, and just a general sense of sort of confusion about where the Americans stood on, on a question that is of, of you know, real importance to, um, to the Moroccan government. So getting things back on track like that, uh, remaining consistent in our stated policies when it comes to the Western Sahara or otherwise, mm-hmm. again, I think the ultimate goal is is consistency and giving these countries a sense that we are not going anywhere. We've been speaking with Sarah Foyer, an expert on politics and religion in North Africa and a Sora fellow at the Washington Institute. Sarah is the co-author with Robert Satloff of the presidential transition study, Strengthening Stability in Northwest Africa, Ideas for U.S. Policy Toward Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. That report and other studies in the Transition 2017 series are available at WashingtonInstitute.org. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been Near East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers. Music